right. How many of you like to go to the doctor? Really? Nobody? Okay, maybe that's the wrong way to put it. How many of you don't struggle going to the doctor? All right, some of you. How many of you actually struggle going? Don't like to go at all? Rather take a beating than go? That's me, right? Not a big, uh, not a big going. And here's, listen, there's always a reason why, right? So I've struggled going to the doctor recently because the last time I went to the doctor, right, one of the things that they did was they measured how tall I was, right? They're always, they're always wanting to check your weight, make you feel bad, right? They're tired of that. So I asked him to measure me, right? And of course, you know, years ago when I had gone to this doctor for the first time, we came to Ormond, they had done a physical and they'd measure my height. So they measured me the last time I went to the doctor, right? And I found out I'm shrinking. <laughs> like I'm shorter, I'm shorter than I was 10 years ago. And I freaked out, right? I like, I'm like, there's a lot of things about medicine I understand. There's a multitude I don't. I don't understand how a human being shrinks in 10 years. So I was fit to be tied. And my doctor came in and he was very, very calm. And he just looked at me and he said, listen, you're just going to have to learn how to be a little patient. <laughs> Thank you. Listen, you people are the reason for these bad jokes. Okay. I watched you interact with Joe on the weekends and I try to get you to tell me you hate these jokes and you're like, oh, we love them. So guess what? I'm going to tell them too, right? I'm going to tell them too. All right. So I've, I've made a commitment to our children's team uh, with Paula and Meg stepping out after all the years of experience. We have, an we have an entirely new children's team. And so I'm committed to making sure that we do everything we can to get out of here at 730 uh, so that as they adjust to becoming veterans from rookies, that they have the space to be able to do that. And so last week when we did that, we had to exit stage right before I got done preaching. And so uh, we're going to jump back into that. I just want to finish it up, right? So we've been walking through uh, the I am statements. We're in John 10. So if you've got your Bibles, uh, you got them on your phone, whatever. Just really want to encourage you to get those out and follow along. Um, because on Wednesday, we take a little bit longer. I give a lot of scriptures uh, for you to at least follow up on. And in John 10, Jesus makes the third of his uh, seven I am statements, right? And in the I am, right, the tetragrammaton, right, of the Hebrew, Jesus is making a claim to his deity, right? And so he does this. And in the third one, we read last week in John chapter 10, he says, I am the door, right? And ultimately, what he says in John chapter 10, in regard to being the door, he says to them that anybody who enters, right, Anybody who enters, this is in verse 9, chapter 10 of John. He says, anybody that enters by me, by the door, will be saved. Right? And here's what we learn from that scripture. Listen, if you want to be in a saving relationship, right? You want to be in a right relationship with God. You need to come to it through Jesus. Amen, church? Listen, it's not exclusive Right? It's not as if it's not inclusive because Jesus welcomes who to go through the door? Everybody. Right? That's why he said go into all the world. Right? Make disciples. Right? And so, listen, you enter to be saved. 
The only way to be saved is not by your church affiliation, not by the work that you do, not by the religious law that you keep. It's not what, what, what translation of Bible you believe in, right? It's none of those things. A saving relationship with God begins and ends by coming in through Jesus. That's it. That's why we preach and teach Jesus. It's why you and I have to be ready to make sure that that door or that gate is open to who? Everyone. Listen, the reality is there are people outside of the walls of churches all over America who simply won't darken them because those who believe in Jesus have restricted the doorway based upon color of skin, based upon socioeconomic, based upon the sins that they would want to walk through that door with. And we have kept them at bay until they agreed with us. That's ridiculous, right? The reality is that Jesus forgives who? Everyone. But you can't be forgiven until you walk through the what? The door. We've got to get out of the business of thinking we have to make people, right, appearance-wise, fit in a way that the door is easy to go through. Listen, get them through the door and let Jesus change them. Amen? So you enter to be saved. But here was the part we didn't get to that I want to take just a few minutes to cover. Because it's not enough... To be saved. Listen, Jesus didn't save any of us to be saved and just sitting, right? Listen to what John 10, 9 says. Jesus doesn't just say, right, in that passage, he says in verse 9, he says, I'm the gate and whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in. Listen to the saved people. They're going to come in and they're going to go out and they're going to find pasture, right? We had the picture last week, right? Of the sheep pen, if you've got that picture, David, right? Here was, here's sort of a model of it, right? Basically a rock strewn, usually not this symmetrical, right? But this is a sheep pen put together by a shepherd. There would be barbed wire or thorns across the top, right? Or thorns across the top, right? And ultimately there would be an opening. And the opening would be blocked in the wilderness by the shepherd. He would become the what? It would become the gate or the door. This is the, this is the metaphor that Jesus is using, right? My sheep, right? Those who are saved will enter through me, right? But then he says this, that these in here, they will not only go in, he says they will go out and they will find what? Pasture. Listen, inside this sheep pen, if this is the only life you know, as a thing or a person saved by the shepherd, this eventually does what? It goes dry. It runs out. Right? If all you eat is inside of this pen, right? Eventually, what's in there becomes unappealing. Because guess what? Sheep sleep on it. Sheep defecate on it. Sheep walk on it. Right? This eventually isn't enough. And the, Jesus says that the only way, right, we enter to, to, to be saved, we exit to be satisfied. These sheep aren't satisfied in the pen. They have to go out and find what? They have to go out and find pasture. There's no, there's no, right, satisfaction for the sheep if long term this becomes their home. Sheep are satisfied when they go out and they find what? Pasture. Well, let's take the metaphor then for ourselves. What does that look like? How are we satisfied? We're satisfied, right, by going out 
and doing the thing that God prepared for us to do, that made for us to do. Sheep were made to graze upon pasture. They weren't meant to graze within a pen. Neither were Christians meant to gather in a church and stay huddled from the masses. Right? Our satisfaction in our salvation comes from coming in. Aren't you glad you're here tonight watching online? Aren't you glad? Amen. Right? We love these gathering moments. They're encouraging, hopefully, and hopefully they don't take too long, right? And all of those things, but there's a, there's an encouragement in it. But the satisfaction in Jesus is found in the going out. Going out matters. Let me read a couple scriptures to you. David, I did not bring mine, so I'm just going to trust that you're going to bring them up for me as we exit to be satisfied, right? So bring that first scripture up, right? So this is Matthew chapter 2, 8, right? You can, does that picture go down? There we go. He said, he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, right, report to me so that I may go and worship him, right? So bring that, the verse, the first part of that verse back up, right? He sent them to Bethlehem, go and make a what? Careful search. That's the word. They go in and they go out and they find pasture. Right? There's a phrase where that Greek word is used, a careful search for the child. Listen, there's some work involved in this, right? There's some work involved in that process. Here's the other, here's the other verse that is connected to that word. Ask and it will be given to you what? And you will find. Right? Same Greek word when he says you will go in, they will go out and they will find pasture. Seek and you will Fine. There's effort involved. Listen, being a believer who's saved through entering through Jesus means our satisfaction, our fulfillment comes in what? Going out. Going out. Listen, the thing that I love most about Tomoka Christian Church, the Bride of Christ, is we constantly talk about going out. Right? Either give, pray, or go. Right? We need you. We want you to be involved. Right? Yes, there's a great need. What did Jesus said? Look, the harvest is ready. The harvest is plentiful, but the water few. The laborers. Right? So yeah, we want you to go because the need's great and you're supposed to labor. And so we try to phrase that right. You don't want to tell volunteers that are going to serve how desperate you are for them. What did Jesus say? We're desperate. The world's going to hell. It's ready to be harvested. Listen, I read a survey this week. Um from Barna Group that does tons of research, right? And they research the Gen Z and the millennial group, right? Gen Z is the, is that, that's the right term, right? The ones below the millennials, right? The Gen Z's, right? The ones we're placing all of our hope in because the millennials are done. Let's write them off, right? No. But here's what, here's what he found in the survey, right? They surveyed several thousand people within the Gen Z and the millennial group. And here's what they found. 72% of the people surveyed, which were several, several thousand people said this, we are desperately seeking something else. They're looking, right? We give them all this grief about all this stuff. But when you sit down and talk to them, here's what you find out. 74% of them said they believe that there is a spiritual force out there, some kind of spiritual being that they need to find. Almost 80% of Gen Z expressed a need for spiritual hunger. 
So we give them all this grief and the reality is they're different than we were. But I don't know if you remember, but when we were children and we were teens, our parents thought we were satanic, right? Right? I mean, they listened to Roy Orbison and George Jones and we brought Kiss into the house, right? And they thought we were Satan worshipers, right? So let's, let's, let's back off on the rhetoric. Every generation feels that way. I mean, when Elvis showed up, the generation that raised the kids that loved Elvis thought that, that Elvis belonged to the devil, right? Just because he moved his hip or twitched his lip, right? We always act that way. But when you get to it, here's what you find out. These people are desperately, desperately longing for something else. Here's the thing. If you find Jesus, you get saved. When you find Jesus and get saved, the only way to be satisfied is you got to go out and find pasture. Listen, you got to put some work in this. You've got to find some work in doing what God's called you to do. I want to read to you in Matthew chapter 10 real quick and just give you a little example of how this works. Matthew 10. These 12, the 12 that followed Jesus, Jesus sent them out with the following instructions. Do not go or do not go among the Gentiles or enter any of their, of the towns of the Samaritans, right? Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel, to the Jew first, right? As you go, preach the message, the kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy and drive out demons. Freely you've received, freely give. Right? Don't take with you any gold, silver, or copper in your belt. Take no bag for the journey or extra tunic or sandals or staff for the worker is worth his keep. Right? Whatever town or village you enter, search for some worthy person there. Stay at their house until you leave. Right? As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it's not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, he says, shake the dust off your feet when you leave that home or that town. Right? So they went in and they found salvation in Jesus. And they spent all this time with him. And Jesus said, listen, this is to be saved. You won't be satisfied walking around with me in our little covenant of 12. He said, you got to go what? You got to go out. And you got to go out and find your pasture. So Jesus said, go, right? Take with you what you got from me and go and find your pasture. Listen to what he says about that. He says, I'm sending you out like sheep among what? Wolves. Listen, this isn't going to be easy, right? We, we want to try to sell this as something that's going to be fun and exciting. And it is at some level. But listen, when you send a sheep among a wolf, guess what could happen to the sheep? They could what? They could die, be attacked, right? The target. Listen, this isn't easy finding your satisfaction in Jesus, right? You can find salvation in Jesus, but your satisfaction, once saved, comes from going out. And I'm going to send you out. He says, therefore, when you go out, what? Be as shrewd as a what? Not as nasty as a snake, right? Not a snake in the grass. Simply take on one characteristic is that you're shrewd, but be as innocent as a what? 
as a dove. Be on your guard against men because they're going to hand you over to local councils and flog you in their synagogues. He says, on my account, you're going to be brought before governors, kings, as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, don't worry about what you're going to say or how to say it. At that time, you're going to be given what to say for it will not be you, but the spirit of your father that speaks through you. Listen, what's going to happen? Brother's going to betray brother to death and a father's going to betray his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. All men will hate you because of me, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you're persecuted in one place, flee to another. Tell you the truth, you're not going to finish going through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A student's not above his teacher, nor servant above his master. Listen, going out and finding your pastor is not what? It's not fun. Listen, it's not fun. And all of this work that we do to sell people that all of this is easy and fun, listen, we got to get past that nonsense. The reality is, if you accept Jesus, and if you have accepted Jesus in here online, let me hear you say amen. Listen, if you've accepted Jesus, aren't you grateful that going through him got you saved, rescued, restored, covered, all of that? Listen, your satisfaction is not going to be finding in your right job. You may be, you may be satisfied in your profession. You may be satisfied in your family by having family and finding a new home or having a great location. Listen, I don't know about you, but I looked at the map of the world of the United States today. I am grateful that I live in Florida where it's warm today and every other state in the union stinks because it's cold. Amen. Yeah. It's wonderful. National hate Florida day. I'm all for it. Right? Listen, but all of that's only temporary satisfaction. The true satisfaction in being saved with Jesus is you got to go out. And where are you going? You're going among wolves. You're going to go out where they're going to hate you. Where your father might betray you. Where a brother may turn on you. And vice versa. This isn't easy. Right? This isn't going to be fun. But the only way to be saved is to know who? Jesus. And I know you remember our enemy we talked about this weekend. Satan's desire is to lead the whole world astray. And our message is to get people to Jesus. And guess what? We're in a fight for that. It's going to be ugly. It's going to be hard, right? We want to resist that. Look at what the Lord says in chapter 10 of Luke when these guys got back. After the Lord appointed the 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go, he told them the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are what? Listen, there's one thing that I would say to our church in 2023. Listen, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. There's nothing else to be said about the world in which we live in and the town in which we live in and the county in which we live in. Listen, it is not enough to be saved. You need to get out and find your pasture, right? Because we don't have enough of you. We don't have enough people to go and fight. He says, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers in the harvest field. So every day, every day, right, at 10.02 or 10.03, I pray that prayer from Luke 10, from Luke 10, 2, right? At 10.02 every morning and 10.02 every night, I get an alert on my phone. And my phone alert is this, pray for God to send workers in the harvest field. Because we need them. We cannot do this. If all the sheep who get saved stay in the pen. Got to get out and find your pasture. So he says, go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Don't take a purse or a bag or sandals. Don't greet anyone on the road. Now they come back. Look at what it says. He says, 
He who listens, not, not just yet, he who listens to you listens to me. He who rejects you rejects me, right? But he who rejects me rejects him who sent me, right? Listen, I'm a preacher for 30 plus years. There's lots of times people don't like what I say, right? I don't, honestly, I don't ever take that personally. Now, I say that tonight, one of you will send something to me and it'll make me cry and I'll take it personally, right? But I work really hard at not taking it personally because the reality is this isn't my message. This is the message of God sent to us through his son. So I know that, you, listen, all I can do is do my diligence and try to preach the truth, right, that God gives me. And whether you accept it or reject it, I truly believe you're rejecting the one who sent Jesus, not me, right? So I want to give you the truth. So th- this is what happened. These people found salvation in Jesus. They went out and found their pasture and they went out into a world that hated them, would betray them, would arrest them, would kill them, would devour them. There was no love loss. But look what happened when they came back after they went out in their pasture. The 72 returned with what? They returned with joy. Why? It says, Lord, even the demons submitted to us in your name. Right? He replied, I saw Satan fall. This is Jesus watching what was happening as these 72 sheep who were saved by Jesus went out and found pasture. He said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. He says, I've given you authority to trample snakes and scorpions to overcome all the power of the enemy. Right? Nothing's going to harm you. However, see, let's go back to that real quick. This is just two minutes aside. We we are so... Whatever that means, right? Then we take those verses and go, see, see, see. If you believe in Jesus, you should be able to step on a snake and not be bit. You should be able to step on a scorpion and not be bit. Because nothing's going to harm you. Do you know that there are churches that use that verse for that very purpose? And they quote that? (gasps) Whatever, right? He goes on to say this. However, don't rejoice that spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names were what? That you went in and got saved, right? Your satisfaction comes in the going out and finding pasture, but rejoice that your names were written in heaven. He says, at that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to your little children. Yes, Father, this was your This was your good pleasure, he said. All things have been committed to me by my father. No one knows the son except the father. And no one who knows, and no one knows who the father is except the son and those to whom the son chooses to reveal him, right? Listen, I want you to know this about the gate. You got to go through Jesus to be what? Got to go to Jesus to be saved. And if you're saved because of Jesus, say amen. Which means Jesus, listen, let's be clear here. If Jesus can save you, he can save who? Anybody. Now I look across the room and all of us have the exact same color of skin. But do you know Jesus can save black people too? And you know that Jesus can save people who are Asian as well. And you can save people that don't look like us, act like us, live like us. You can save people that are poor as well as rich, men as well as women, right? We get all that, right? We've got to get past that. But once you enter to be saved, let's be clear, Zoe, right? Remember, Jesus came so that you could have life, 
right? Not bios, not suke, but you could have zoe. You could have more, right, through him. How do you get it? You got to exit to be satisfied. You got to get out and you got to find your pasture and guess the pastures in the world and the world's full of sheeps and it's full of men that will hate you and parents that will betray you and brothers and sisters that will turn on you. I've come, Jesus said, not to bring peace, but a what? A sword. I've come to set households against households and families against families. Right? Why? Because what's at stake is eternity and Satan isn't playing Revelation 12 says us, tells us his time is short, which means he's panicking, right? He's not messing around. It's time for the church of Jesus in America to stop messing around, right? We've got this. I read it, or my buddy told me about a, a, an interview he listened to this week or last week about an Iranian who came here after COVID or during COVID to sort of get away. And then when it came time, a year later, she was ready to go back and her husband wasn't. And she said to him, when he asked her, why do you want to go back? And she said this about America. This was in 2021. She said, there is a satanic lullaby over the church. They have fallen asleep. Satanically, they've been blinded that everything's okay. Everything's okay. And we rail against the government, but the church has grown cold and dead in the fight. For salvation, we're fighting for a Republican Party. We're fighting for a president. All of those people are going to die. And ain't none of them going to save us. What will save us is knowing who? Jesus. We got to get to work, which means you got to get out of the pen. Because your life will not be satisfied in the pen. Oh, yes, it will for a short time. 100%. Let's not kid ourselves. Listen, you can live and breathe in the pen for a while. But eventually, it grows stinky it grows unsatisfying. And that's why people who never get involved in going out leave churches. And they go find another one. Let's just go find another sick pen. Right? So we went from this church to this verse. We first started at Tomoka. Then we went to Calvary. Then we went to Riverbend. And then we went to Salty. And then we went here. And we found community. And now all we're doing is we're finding new pens. Nobody cares. Jesus doesn't care. Find one pen. Get in it. Be saved. And then do what? Go out and find your pasture. Right? Get out. And find what God wants for you. Amen, church? All right. Let's get rid of that. Let's go to the next next passage, right? I've got nine minutes. Ha! <laughs> so I want to go to the to the good shepherd, David, and we're going to read John chapter 10, right? So Jesus is in one conversation, right? He's just in one complete conversation. And he's talking to the Pharisees after the blind man's been healed and they kick him out of the, out of the temple. I don't want to hear it anymore, right? Jesus has done everything he can since John chapter eight to just poke the bear and incite a riot with them. I mean, he even said of them, your father is the devil, right? He is a liar and a murderer from the beginning. And you're just like him. These people hate Jesus. And then he heals a man who's born blind, which means in their belief and their religious system that Jesus healed his sin. Because there's no way the man was born blind, cognitively blind, right? Or congenitally blind, unless there was sin by his parents or by him. And so Jesus healed him and the Pharisees were left with, he just forgave sin. And they can't believe it. So now they're furious. And eventually they get tired of the, the man born blind. You want some comedy? Read what the, the man born blind says. It's, it's, it's hilarious. Listening to it. And they finally just kick him out. 
And so when Jesus sees him come out, right, of that at the end of chapter 9, he speaks to this large crowd and he says this in chapter 10, verse 1. I tell you the truth, the man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in some other way, is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. When he's brought out all of his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, he says, they will run away from him because they do not recognize the stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure, this simile or metaphor, right, of speech. They didn't understand what he was telling them, right? So Jesus says in this passage, I am the good shepherd. So, uh, David, go back to that very first picture of the sheep pen. And I want you to take a look at this real quick, right? So there were times when the shepherds were out on a pasture and it grew dark. And so before they could get back into town, right, they would have to build a makeshift pen. And eventually the shepherd, right, would lean across it. But there were lots of times when the shepherds would bring their sheep back into town, right, where multitudes of shepherds had brought their flock. And then multitudes of different flocks of sheep would all be in the same pen. Right? And in it would be a doorway. The shepherd wouldn't be there. There would actually be a gate. Right? And at the gate would be a hired helper. Right? And his job at the gate, right, was to let the shepherd in. The shepherd would walk in and using his voice, call his sheep by name. And the sheep would literally hear the shepherd's voice. And his sheep and only his sheep would follow him out. Got it? Is that amazing? I mean, listen, when you do reading on shepherds, they're incredible. I mean, these people are unbelievable. The skill that God gave them and what they can do. But a shepherd would literally walk into a pen with hundreds of sheep, most of which weren't his, and simply by voice and by name, these sheep would walk out with him. And then he would not drive them. He would lead them. And periodically, he would talk to them, and they would simply follow him. So here's the first thing I want you to know about the good shepherd, right? So go back to that. If you go back to that first point there, here's the first thing I want you to get about the good shepherd. That approach, approach indicates the shepherd's end game or his motives or intents. So how many of you are scared? Don't be afraid of answering this question honestly. How many of you are a little bit scared of approaching a strange dog? Right? Like, listen, I grew up, I grew up, some of these things I say I feel so embarrassed about, right? I grew up terrified of dogs because we grew up in the country, miles from town, and we rode our bikes everywhere. Well, we had lots of neighbors that had lots of dogs, and there were neighbors that kept their dogs free. No pen, no chain, they just roamed. And one of our particular neighbors had huge German shepherds. Ever seen a German Shepherd? They'll kill you, right? And so we would ride on the north and south road. The problem with going north was we had to come back south, which meant we had to go by these people's house. And so we would very intrepidly pedal our bikes 
right? Trying to see where these dogs were at. And on more than one occasion, these dogs chased us, right? Vehemently down the road, nipping at our heels, scared me to death. So I have carried with me my whole life an apprehension, an apprehension about approaching a dog. Now listen, we had dogs. I love dogs, right? I'm not a big fan of them living in our house, but you know, whatever. That's another subject for another day, right? But I've been very apprehensive about approaching dogs because here's what I've learned about dogs. How you approach them tells the dog what your motives are. Yes? 100%. Now I'm six foot whatever, 200 and whatever. I don't generally make a gentle approach to anything, okay? And so it's times complicated to make my approach non-threatening to a strange dog, right? But I've learned... Right, I've learned through listening and watching videos that there's ways to approach a strange dog in a manner that says to him, I'm no threat, right? Because here's what I know. Approach, approach always can indicate what my motives are. Am I safe, right? Or am I a danger? Here's what Jesus said about himself. He says, when I come to my sheep, I go to the gate, the guy opens it, I walk in, I call my sheep by my voice, and they follow me. What does the thief and the robber do? They don't go to the gate, they do what? They climb over the, they climb over the wall. And the approach to people indicates motive of the person that approaches, right? That's just, that's just reality, right? Listen, how many of you grew up and you had a front door and you had a back door? Right? And we always said, right, friends, right, family always came in through the what? Through the back door, right? Visitors and strangers knocked on the front door, right? Family and familiar faces would enter through the back door and most of the time wouldn't even what? And didn't even knock. Why? Because approach indicates our end game, our intent, or a motive in that process. Jesus says that about himself. My approach indicates to you that I have good motives. Listen to G we read this last weekend, but listen to Genesis 3. Adam and Eve have sinned. They've eaten from the tree they were not supposed to. They found that they were naked, right? And they hid themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. David, leave that right there. Bring that verse back up, right? At this point in time, church, does God know where these people are at? Because God knows what? Everything, right? Had he told them not to eat of the tree? Did he know that they ate of it? You ever told your, you ever told your children not to do something? They did it anyway. Remember how hard it was, right? To, to not be angry, Right? And how many of you have approached a child, right, after they've done something wrong in a manner that completely told your child what your motive was? <laughs> right? Yeah, for sure. Listen to what God who knows what happened did. It says this. He approaches them and the Lord God calls to the man and says what? Where are you? He didn't show up and go, what have you done? Or I cannot believe what you did. You simply had one tree not to eat of. No, listen to his approach. Where are you? Did he know? Did he know what they've done? 
Did you hear what he said? Where are you? Kind. Right? Right? Kind. Right? Respectful. Right? Because God's approach tells us what he cares about us. Listen to what it says in John chapter 8 about the woman caught in adultery. At this, those who heard began to go away. Because Jesus had said, you who are without sin, cast the first stone. At this, those who heard this began to go away one at a time. The older ones first, until only Jesus was left. With the woman still standing there. She's naked after being brought to the Sanhedrin or to the temple right to be condemned of adultery. Jesus straightens up and asks her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She says, no one. Then neither, listen to this, was, let's, not, let's not debate the validity of whether she did or didn't. Let's assume because what's in scripture is true. Was the woman who caught an adultery guilty of doing something wrong? Yes or no? Yes. Was she, according to God's law, given to us in the Old Testament? Was she was she judged to be guilty of stoning? Yes or no? Yes. What did Jesus say? Listen to his approach. Neither do I condemn you. Listen, approach indicates my motive, my heart, my intent towards you, right? It makes a difference. I'm not going to read 1 Kings 12, but I do, I do want to get to Luke 12, 32, that next verse. I want you to hear this, right? Because listen, approach tells us what God wants for us. Listen to what Jesus said in Luke 12, 32. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid, little what? He's talking to his sheep. Do not be afraid for your father has been pleased to give you the what? Kingdom. Listen. We know from God's approach to us through Jesus that God's desire and his motive is for nothing but good for us. For good. We say things like, well, God wants me to be happy. Listen. There are things that make you happy that I would find aggravating. There are things that make me happy that would make you aggravated. God's not interested in happiness, right? He's interested in your good because he is the what shepherd? The good shepherd, right? And it says it pleases him, little flock, to give you the kingdom. Listen, I know what God's motives are because I know how he approached me. I remember when I was being Convicted by the Holy Spirit. I remember after I've done something wrong and the Holy Spirit has convicted me. God has never hit me on the head with a hammer. He has never called me a name. He has never said the things to me that my father said to me when I made a mistake. He's never done any of that stuff. Why? Because his approach, which is always kind, tells us his motive toward me. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew 11. Come to me, all of you who are what? Weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Why? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am what? I am gentle and I am humble in heart, right? And you will find rest for your souls. Listen, here's the good shepherd. Approach matters. It matters, right? Approach, listen to this, approach indicates my motive. And Jesus, right? Just like his father approached us with kindness and gentleness, right? We know what his motives are then for us. Think about your approach now. 
toward those outside and those inside the flock? Does your approach reflect what you received from the Father? You see, I know all of you the same way I know myself. You've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And my guess is every one of you online and in here who have known Jesus have sinned post knowing Jesus and have fallen short of the glory of God. Am I telling the truth? And my guess is he never showed up in your house and sat down with his cross and his bleeding back and his bleeding brow. Right in his pierced hands, my guess is he never showed up and sat with you to show you how miserable you made him because of your choices and then looked at you and said, how could you do that to me even after you accepted this? My guess is he didn't do that to any of you, did he? Now think about how you and I approach other people when they do something wrong. Does our approach horizontally, right? Everybody just put their head down and ignore that Shelby from Children's is in the back of the room, right? <laughs> Thank you, Shelby, right? Does your, does your approach to these people, husbands look at wives and wives look at husbands and fathers look at children and children look at parents, right? Neighbors look at neighbors. People who are sitting in the same row look at each other. And here's my question. We know God's approach to us is gentle and it's humble in heart. Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. The God who walked into Adam and Eve after sinning said, where are you? And yet we love that vertically. We sing amazing songs about it vertically. And then... When it comes time to reflect that horizontally, we're harsh, we're judgmental. We say things like, I can't believe you did that. And we talk in an approach that not in any way indicates what we got from our father. That's huge, right? Because listen, this is what it's going to boil down to, right? Jesus said the greatest command is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Thereby said what? Amen. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Everything you love this way has got to be reflected this way. Because what Jesus is going to teach us about the good shepherd is these people who say they're shepherds of Israel are liars. Because this, they claim, changes nothing here. And what we're going to see as we finish this next week is if this is real... This is present. And if this is fake, this is non-existent. So I'm going to ask you, just about this one particular area, how's God's approach been to you? Have you found it indicated to you what God's heart was towards you? And if so, and you've accepted it, does your approach to other people reflect that same approach? Because if this matters, if this is genuine, this is going to look very, very similar. Amen, church? So we're going to finish that next week. So if you get a chance, read John chapter 10, 11 through 18, and we will finish that. I'm going to pray. Father, thank you so much for being the door, sending your son to be our door. Thank you that we can go in through him and we can be saved. Make us a church that makes that our number one priority. Make it, make it to where that's what we believe is first in the priority. 
And Father, help us to understand that our satisfaction in being saved comes in going out. So move us to be a church to action. Move us to be people that go out in this world and find pasture. Help us to celebrate when we see Satan fall and your kingdom grow. And Father, remind us that as we walk in the presence of our good shepherd, that everything that we receive from you, you've simply asked for us to express it on a horizontal plane. Make us better reflections of who you are in us. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, church.